Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is so very real. And Jesus, you are right there. You're not predictable. You're not predictable. Sometimes we heard so many people say, you know, I stopped going to church because it was so predictable. But Jesus, you're anything but predictable. So where did that come from? I don't know. But speak to us today through your word. We're going to talk about how we can become clean, radically clean. What does that mean? How is that accomplished? Help us in Christ's name. Amen. Mark chapter 7. I'm only going to read you a few verses from Mark 7. We send out a, a broadcast. If you're not on the broadcast, we only send it one time a week, one little short itty-bitty email that lets you know where we're going on a particular Sunday. And so we send the broadcast out on a Thursday or Friday, and we send it out this week and said Mark 7. And so hopefully a bunch of you got that and you read Mark 7. I'm just going to lift out a few verses, okay? Uh, Here, Jesus is speaking and uh, talking about being clean. Mark 7, starting in verse 14, Jesus says, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him clean by going into him. Rather, rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. Now, after he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable and jesus said are you so dull hey you you don't get this don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean for it doesn't go into his heart nobody ever understands jesus's parables that is so crystal clear nobody understands these parables which seem so simple nobody understands them and what he's saying here is, is that I, me, I, I cannot make myself clean. Simple as that. I cannot make myself clean at all. Now, he begins the gospel Mark. Mark 1.15. Jesus, here's his first words in the entire book of Mark. Here's his first words. He says, repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe. So we talked about it last week. Derek did. He said, what does repent mean? Repent means to do an about face. So stop thinking. He's saying, stop thinking this way. What, stop thinking what way? Stop thinking I can make myself clean. Stop thinking I have any part to play whatsoever in my cleanness. Stop thinking that. Instead, start thinking this way. Start believing this way that there's absolutely nothing you can do to make yourself clean. What does that mean? The disciples are like, what? They're confused. I want to tell you a story, and maybe it'll help to make this a little bit more clear. It's from the book of Zechariah. We don't talk about the book of Zechariah a lot. It's a small book at the end of the Old Testament, and it doesn't get a lot of airtime. But there's a story in there that's really important. It's found in Zechariah chapter 3. Who knows what Yom Kippur is? Anybody know what Yom Kippur is? What is that? It's the Day of Atonement. There we go. Give the man a star. Okay, so the day of atonement. So on the day of atonement, the high priest, who is the high priest? The high priest is the best person we know. The high priest is the cleanest person we know. The high priest is the most knowledgeable person about God that we know and who seeks to follow all the rules of God in the Bible. He's the best person we know. And we take that person on a one time, one day a year, he goes in and he asks for forgiveness of all the sins. Everybody, okay? This is what happens. The week before Yom Kippur, he prepares himself all week. They put him in isolation, right? Because if you're around certain people, 
stuff might rub off. If you're around certain situations, temptation might set in. And, you know, or you might just make a mistake. You might do the wrong, whatever. I don't care what happens, how it happens, you might get unclean. So they isolate the old boy, right? He's in isolation, so nothing can happen to him. He's going to be nothing but clean. Then, the night before, he stays up all night praying, preparing, getting himself right before God. This is what it is, okay? Now, the morning of, he goes to the temple. Temple's packed with people. People are just packed. Everybody's excited because this is the day that they get radically clean, okay? So he comes, and they set up this screen in the temple. It's a very thin, thin screen, so it's like you see a silhouette through it. And he goes behind the screen. They can see a silhouette, crowds of people, takes all his clothes off. And he scrubs from head to toe with clean water. He just, like a doctor going into surgery, just scrub head, and they're watching this, scrubbing head to toe, everything down. And then they bring a brand new pure white linen robe and put it on him. He goes into the Holy of Holies. He says, God, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for my sins. Comes back out. He comes back out. He goes behind the screen. And you know what he does? He takes that brand new pure white linen robe, takes it off, and he takes another bath. Head to toe, like a surgeon. Oh, every spot comes off. Totally clean. And the people are watching this. And then a second pure white, brand spanking new linen robe is born. Put it on. Goes back into the Holy of Holies. God, please forgive the priests of all their sins. Now he makes atonement for all the priests. He's got himself covered. He's got the priests covered. He comes out. You know what he does? Third bath. Third bath. Head to toe. Scrubbing like a surgeon. Every spot comes off. Third brand new pure white linen robe brought down. He puts it on. There's not a person cleaner in the land than this guy, right? I mean, he's about as clean as they get. He is clean. He's been isolated. He's been prepared. He's been scrubbed three times. He goes in the third time, and the people are just, wow, man, they're whipped into a frenzy. He goes in. God, forgive all the people of their sins. He comes back out. The people are, whoa. Now Zechariah. Zechariah said, Zechariah chapter 3, he said, I saw Joshua the high priest. He was standing before God in the Holy of Holies. But he didn't have a pure white linen robe on. Instead, he had a filthy robe on, Zechariah 3.3. Now, this is where English does not help us. Hebrew is what we need here, in which it was originally written in Hebrew. The word for filth in the Hebrew is the strongest expression of filth that we find in the entire Hebrew language. What was filthy to the Hebrews? Anything that came out of a human body was filthy. And so he said, I saw the cleanest man in all of the land, the most knowledgeable, the most isolated, the purest person in the world, standing before God, covered in human excrement, urine, vomit, and blood from a woman having her period, covered, dripping in it. How can that be? He goes on. He says, but thank goodness. God rose, raised up a branch from the line of David. Who's the branch? Jesus Christ. What's Jesus' name in Hebrew? Joshua. What's it in Greek? Jesus. Another Joshua came along. And in one day, 
one day God wiped out the sin of all the people. So what did Jesus do the week before he was crucified? He prepared himself all week. What did Jesus do the night before he was crucified? Stayed up and prayed all night in the garden. It's like the high priest, right? Was Jesus bathed? Did, did, did he take a bath? You know, all those baths. Did he take a bath? Yes, he did. He took a bath. But he didn't do it in water. He did it in the people's spit. They bathed them in their spit as they spat on Jesus. And we're told in 2 Corinthians that Jesus Christ took on the very essence of filth and sin covered in human excrement and urine and blood and vomit. And Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ was crucified outside of the city gate. Why does it tell us that? What was outside the city gate? The garbage dump where all the crap of the world ended up. That is where Jesus Christ was crucified. You know what grace means? Grace means that we're far more unclean than we ever dared to imagine. But we're far more loved than we ever dared to imagine. Because Jesus Christ, who did not have to take any of that on, took all of that on for us. If the high priest, the cleanest person in the land, is covered in that kind of filth, what do you think we are covered in? And all of our attempts to be good and righteous before God. Religion says we can make ourselves clean. The gospel, the grace of Jesus Christ says there is no way that we can make ourselves clean. And it is a vast difference between the two, between the two of those things. How do we get clean with God? Fill this one in on the back of your bulletin if you like. We have to be with Jesus. We have to be with Jesus. This is the only way that we're clean. Jesus says, John fifteen five. apart from me, you can do nothing. Being clean and righteous before God is everything. And we can't do it unless we are with Jesus. I mentioned 2 Corinthians 5 just a few moments ago. It makes it very clear. And if anybody who is in, in, in Christ, they are a new creation. Anybody who is in Christ, they're a new creation. It goes on to say this. Jesus became sin so that in, not apart from Christ, but in Christ, we would become righteous. There is a white robe we find in Scripture. And the white robe is Jesus, right? So this is Jesus, and this is his robe. And we have to put his robe on us, right? Because this is what the Father sees. He sees Jesus. He sees his righteousness. Now, the thing is, is that we start to get a little confused about this in life because we're human beings. This doesn't, religion makes sense. Gospel doesn't make sense to us. And so we think, okay, all right, you know, I can attempt to start claiming myself. So this is good. I got, I got Jesus. I got Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I got Jesus. But underneath, right, like he cleans me all up. Like I've accepted Jesus a long time ago, right? And he, clean, he cleans me all up. And so underneath, I got my clean robe, garments on, and then I got Jesus over top. You know, that's not true. You're not given, according to the book of Revelation, your clean, white, new robe, your clean, white, new robe until you get to heaven sometime in a future date. Prodigal son helped us out with this a lot. Prodigal son, what's he do? He's in the filth of the pig pen and all the slop and crap that's in there. And he 
gets up and he runs to his dad. Now, when he gets to his dad, his dad says, quick, get a robe, put it on him. But I think, wait a minute, give the boy time to clean up. I mean, get all that junk off of him and then put the new robe on that clean body. No, 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 no. Put the robe on him now. Look, if I'm clean, if I get myself cleaned up, I'm all clean. And then I put, I put Jesus on, put his nice robe on top. But I know I'm clean underneath. I am so narcissistic. that I will start thinking religiously in a moment's time. Yeah, I got Jesus on, but you know, it's not too bad underneath. Look, we all think we're good. There's no way I can keep myself in pride. There's no way I can keep myself in self-righteousness. If I think that some reason that, hey, I'm clean underneath, I got Jesus on the top, hey, I got Jesus, I'm all in Jesus, but really I know underneath. It's clean. The robe goes on over top of all the mess. The robe of Jesus Christ his purity goes right on top of all the mess. I would like you to write this down. I can't be with Jesus if I deserve Jesus. If I deserve, if I deserve Jesus, I can't really be with Jesus. I can't really understand his robe of righteousness that's on me if I deserve Jesus. See, if I can clean myself, clean people have rights. We have rights. If I'm walking around thinking, you know what, I got Jesus' clean robe on me and I'm clean kind of underneath, ah, to some level of cleanness. You know what, I'm not the cleanest person, but I'm not the dirtiest person. Still, I feel like I deserve something. I am a good person. How many times I think to myself, you know, that person's a good person and I'm a good person. I mean, that should count for something, right? That's religion. That's not gospel. Gospel is... is all the junk is covered up underneath in there. Grace is where all the power is. Grace, gospel, is where all the power is. Grace is what moves us. It what's, it's what touches our hearts deeply. You know why? Because we know it's real. We try to fool ourselves and think, yeah, I have a piece to play in this cleanness factor in me. But we have no part to pay whatsoever. Because apart from Jesus, you can do absolutely nothing. I want to play you a video clip now. In this video clip from Les Mis, I want you to see if you can pick out religion at work and grace at work and ask yourself what moves you and why. Religion at work and grace at work. You're going to see two scenes, two different scenes. The first scene you're going to see, Fantaine. And in this, it has been discovered that she has a child out of wedlock. A man came to town, and a man came to town and says, I love you. I love you. He didn't love her. He just wanted to get her in bed. He said, I love you. Got her in bed. She got pregnant. When she got pregnant, he left, broke her heart, and all that she knew to do was to take her child, who she loved so much, Cosette, and put her with some people that she didn't even know that well, and to take a job in a factory and to send all the money. It was discovered. It was discovered. And so she gets fired from her job. Scene number two, fast forward, scene number two. She's in, she's in the police officer's office. She's been arrested. She's a prostitute. She wasn't arrested for being a prostitute. But she's arrested because a man was, was hurting her, was attacking her, and she defended herself. And the man wasn't arrested. She was arrested. And the police officer has no grace for her whatsoever. And then you'll see the mayor of the city walk in and you can figure out the rest. So let's roll the tape. Monty, come with me, please. 
Monsieur le maire cares about his workers. He cannot have women of questionable morals influencing the girls. I'm sorry. Have I taken to the prison? You'll get six months. Six months? What about Cosette? What'll happen to her? Who is Cosette? My daughter. If I don't send the Tenardier's money, they'll turn her out. Is your daughter here in Vigo? No, sir, she lives with... Then she's not my concern. <laughs> Inspector! In Inspector! In Inspector, please listen to my side. I know I hit the gentleman. I know I was wrong. But do they have the right to put snow down my dresses, especially when it's the only one I have and I need it for work? I'm sorry. I don't mean to argue. It won't happen again. Inspector, please... All right. I've listened to your side. You're still getting six months. Not even the eternal fast. Yeah, One moment, Inspector. Monsieur Le Maire? You, you did this to me. You fired me. You slacker of Le Let her go. What? Let me explain, Inspector. I was crossing the square when you arrested her. I asked people what had happened, and they said it was entirely the fault of the men who attacked her. In fact, they should be under arrest. Now that you've had this new evidence, I, I want you to release her. He said I can go. He is the mayor, isn't he? Well, I'll be going, then. I won't be any bother with anyone. Sergeant, who said she could go? I did. I am the final judicial authority here in Vigo, and I say she is innocent. <coughs> she spat on you. She was upset. I forgive her. She insulted you. In front of my men, she defiled you. That's my concern, Inspector. No, sir, you were wrong. You and Monsieur Le Maire are the personification of order, morality, government. In fact, the whole of society. You don't have the right to forgive her for debasing all of us. You don't have the authority to destroy justice. I do have the authority, Inspector. Under Articles 9 and 11 of the Criminal Code, I can order her release. Sergeant, she is free to go. I cannot allow that, Monsieur. I was there. She attacked him. The decision is mine. She's free. She will not go free while I am in charge of this post. In that case, Inspector, under Article 66, you were relieved of command until tomorrow morning. Monsieur Le You were dismissed. Inspector, leave. Now.
that's a desperate mom, and I want to read you a story of another desperate mom found in Mark chapter 7 because what Mark gives us is immediately on the heels of helping us to understand that we deserve nothing from God. He gives us a story. And as I read this story, this is what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to put yourself in this mother's shoes. And I'd like you to ask yourself, with what Jesus says to her, how would you react? How would you react to what Jesus says here to her in Mark chapter 7? Let's read. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syria, Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied. But even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Anybody that I've ever talked to about this passage or read it with, pretty much all has the same reaction that I have, some kind of similar reaction to it. It's either anger how dare you? How dare you, Jesus? Or confusion. Or hurt. Something. I, I don't. She doesn't. You don't deserve, deserve to be treated by God like that. But here's the amazing thing. Nobody understands the parables of Jesus, though they should have. Every other person has an astronomical advantage over top of this woman. Everybody does. She is Greek. Antiochus Epiphanes, who brutalized the Jewish people, who hated Judaism, who said, let's stamp out Judaism, who took sons, seven sons of a mother and killed each one of them in front of their mother, who fried them in a big frying pan, who took a pig and sacrificed it in the temple, who hated, hated this Greek leader did this, and she's Greek. She's from Tyre. Josephus, the Jewish historian, says Tyre is the most bitterest of enemies. They worship demons. They don't even have the Bible. They don't know nothing about the Bible. She knows nothing. She's the last person on the planet who should understand a parable of Jesus Christ, and yet she's the first. How is that possible? How is, I want to know how it's possible that this woman could understand what nobody else can understand. You know what? Because she understood that she did not deserve Jesus. She understood when we all get angry and we hear this, that what Jesus is doing is telling her a parable. He's telling her a parable that you have no right to be at the table, the children of God table, the children of God table. You don't have a right to be there. And she says, you know what? You're right. I have no rights. I don't come to you making this request based on what I deserve or my rights or my goodness. I have absolutely no right to be at the table. But I come based on your goodness and your abundance. 
would you please, I beg you, I deserve nothing from you. I deserve nothing from you. Would you be so kind as to help my little daughter? You know what's really cool about this? This story is bookended by the feeding of the 5,000 right before and the feeding of the 4,000 right after. What do you have? You got an abundance of bread. Man, we got so much bread, it's coming out of our noses, man. We got bread everywhere. And Jesus, do you all understand to his disciples, the inside? Do you understand? Do you understand about the bread? They're like, no. What does this mean, all this bread? What does it mean? We don't understand. You know why? Because they deserve the bread. They deserve to be at the table. They deserve the bread. And they had no clue what Jesus was saying. This woman is given a crumb, a crumb. And she walks away full and with total clarity about Jesus Christ. The disciples who have an abundance of bread walk away empty and confused. It's because they deserve to be at the table. Now, second point I'd like you to write down. I can't be with Jesus if I'm not desperate for Jesus. I have to be desperate for Jesus. How does, how does this woman understand that she doesn't deserve it? You know why? Because desperation has a way of just like clearing all the junk away, all the trivial stuff away. It clears it all the way, and we, all of a sudden we see with incredible clarity, oh my gosh, there's nothing I have. That... Desperation does that. Desperation. She was desperate. She was desperate, and therefore she understood. She understood. Desperation is our best shot at understanding grace. And look, desperation comes in all kinds of shapes and forms and sizes. But when we feel that we deserve Jesus, when we feel, hey, look, yeah, this is a really cool white robe. But you know what? I got, you know, I got my robe underneath. And it might not be as white as this, but it's not that bad either. So I deserve something. She understood that her robe underneath was filthy and she had no rights and she deserved absolutely nothing. Now, I want to take you to the third and final story and we're going to end because the third and final story really pulls all this together. And we're going to show you how we're working backwards and forwards. If you've been following on the outline, we started with number three and we're working our way to number one. So there's a story at the end. Jesus, again, he's in this filthy territory, right? Unclean territory. And this guy comes, he can't hear and he can't speak. And so Jesus heals the guy. Now he can speak and now he can hear and it's really exciting. And then it says this, look at Mark 7, 36. It says, Jesus commanded. Now look, 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 it says commanded. He didn't ask. He didn't suggest. He didn't say, hey guys, I got something I want you to think about. He says, he commanded, strong word. Them not to tell anyone. Now, notice what he says. But the more he did so. So in other words, he didn't command them once. He just kept commanding. I want you to be clear. Don't do this. All right? But the more he did so, the more they kept doing what? The more they kept talking about it. What do you think about that? This happens all over the place in the book of Mark, doesn't it? We hear this. This is a repeated story. Jesus would say, don't tell anybody about this. Don't tell anybody about this. Don't tell and they would they go out and tell everybody. How do you react to that? You know, how, I'm going to say how I react to that. Here's what I react. I said, you know what? I'm glad they did. I'm glad they did. I'm glad they told, right? Is there anybody in the room who will say, I understand what you're saying, John. I agree with you. I'm glad they did too. They went and told everybody. Just any, will anybody raise their hand with me and say, yeah, I'm with you. I'm glad they did. Anybody? Okay. 
30 of us in this room feel this way. I say, maybe Jesus is being too humble. I mean, we want people to know about the miracle. We want people to know about Jesus. Don't we want people to know about Jesus? And maybe he's just being way too humble. Maybe he's giving them a riddle. Maybe I don't know what he's doing, but we want people to know. And I always miss the very simple point. As plain as the nose on my face. He told them not to. He told them not to. Don't do this. Please write this last point down. I can't be with Jesus if I'm not directed by Jesus. I can't be with Jesus unless I'm directed, commanded by Jesus. You, what you see in the Gospel of Mark is Jesus Christ commands storms and the storms obey. Jesus Christ commands demons and the demons obey. Jesus Christ commands illnesses and the illnesses obey. Jesus Christ commands people and the people never obey. Never. We never obey. Does that ever hit you? Well, we're just going to do our own thing. In the name of Jesus, I'm going to do something that Jesus, you don't want me to do. But you're going to like it. You're going to like it because I know what's better than you do, Jesus. So step aside and let me do something for you. Because we're righteous. Because our robes are clean. And we deserve Jesus. Look what it says in John 14. If you love me, you will do what I command. Now notice this. What happens when I do what you command, Jesus? Then I will ask the Father to send you the Holy Spirit who will be with you. God will be with you. We cannot be clean unless we are with Jesus. And we cannot be with Jesus unless we're commanded by Jesus. I have a very simple question to ask. Does Jesus commands you. Here's why I went from one to three to one, and why I'm going to go backwards right now. When we're directed by Jesus, when we're commanded by Jesus, Jesus always leads us at some point in some way, sometime, at some point in our life, towards a place of desperation. And that could look different. And you might, man, I don't want to be a place of desperation. We all need to get to a place of desperation. So in the beginning, we see in Mark, he's calling them out to the desert. Desert's a place of desperation. He said, Abraham, Abraham, come on out to the desert, a place of desperation. Israel, come on out to the desert, a place of desperation. We have to get to the place of desperation because if we're not at the place of desperation, we will never understand that we don't deserve Jesus. And as long as we think we deserve Jesus, we have sapped all the power of the gospel. What you saw on that video screen a few moments ago and why it moved your heart in such a deep way is because that was gospel, not religion. And that inside of our spirit says, yes, I love it. Directed, desperate, not deserving of God whatsoever. Now we're going to have communion this morning. And communion is a tangible reminder, something we tangibly can do, touch, that we are cannot be clean apart from God. So all those are helping with communion, if you would move. So we're going to move a lot of people real quick. Just hold on a second. Communion team's going to come. I'm going to explain what we're going to do with communion. The music team's going to come because we're going to play. And the prayer team. What we're going to do today with the prayer team is all the men of the prayer team are going to pray on this wall. All the men will pray over here today if you'd like prayer. And all the women over here, we're going to pray right over here on this wall right over here. I'm going to explain logistically. Communion here at Grace is open to absolutely everybody. We would not dare to think that we could stand in between you and God. It is open to absolutely everybody here. God's grace is abundant, and it is for everybody. This is your own decision whether or not you want to take communion. 
when you come up to take, you'll see there's five different spots here and here. There'll be one here, over here, and down here. You'll see them standing there in just a moment. You'll come up, you'll take the bread, you'll dip it in the cup, you'll step to the side, and you'll consume the bread there, or you'll go back to your seat with the bread that's been dipped into the cup, and you'll go back to your seat, and you'll take it whenever you're ready, whenever you're ready to do so, okay? In a moment, I'm going to pray, and we're going to play, but I have one last thing that I feel is the most important thing that I'm going to say all morning, and I'm tremendously... uh, sincere about this. This has been on me all week long. The story of this desperate mom, the story of this desperate woman that we read about in Mark 7, the story of the desperate mother that we just witnessed on this screen a moment ago. God got a hold of me beginning of this week. I always pray every week, God, what do you want to do? What do you want to say? And you know what? I felt like God you know, I don't want to put it, I don't want to seem to like, oh, God spoke to me, but oh, man, it was so, if you're a desperate mom, if you're a desperate woman, God wants to meet you on that wall. God wants to meet you on that wall. And I've been praying about it, and the prayer team's been praying about it, my wife, Krista, we've been praying about it all week. If you are a desperate mom, if you're a desperate woman, God wants to meet you. God wants to rescue you. God wants to help you. God wants to encourage you. And he wants to meet you today on that wall. So as we take communion after I pray, you come up, you take communion. You are free to go. This is the dismissal of the service. You can go back to your seat and sit down. Or if you want to meet God, and you're a desperate mom or woman, go over there. We want to pray with you. If you're a man, we'll be over here. I'll be over here, and we'll pray with you over here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for your word. I thank you for your grace. Your grace is so powerful. So we might not totally understand it, but man, it moves us. It touches us. It it makes us cry. Thank you, Jesus. There is nothing righteous in me, and I will never be clean, but you wrap that robe around me. Thank you, Jesus, that you took on filth for me for every single person in this place. God bless the eating of this bread and the drinking of this cup for your honor and your glory. Jesus, would you be so real in these next few moments? You said when we take communion, that you would come down and be with us. Would you split the heavens and come down as we take communion and be with us in such a magnificent way? Bless every single person here, Father. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Thank you.